This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The big event that no one's been waiting for and the AI engineering of consent. This is the Propaganda Reports Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. Top story, it's official. The World Health Organization has ended the coronavirus global health emergency today, reversing a declaration that was first made on January 30th, 2020, almost three and a half years ago, before the virus we all know so well today had even been given a name. It was just a tiny little baby virus back then that was about to take the world by storm. Who could have known? Well, obviously, besides everyone who participated in Event 201, other than that, who could have known? Not us, and it's finally ended. Now, obviously, this is not going to be great news for everybody. Not everybody's going to be happy about this. There are many people who fell in love with the circumstances created by COVID who are probably devastated to hear this news. To those people, I will say this. Take solace, because while the global health emergency ended today, here in the United States, we're not ending our national COVID health emergency until next Thursday, which means... You've still got six days to mask it up and live it up, old school COVID style. So grab that trusty N95 face diaper out of the drawer and wear it like it's 2020 all over again. Wear it in the car, wear it while you're jogging, wear it in the shower, sleep in it. Hell, staple it to your face for all I care. Just do what you love the most these next six days. Go get as many boosters as you can. Social distance like your grandmother's life depends on it. Screw six feet. Stay 600 feet away from everybody that you know. I'm sure they'll all appreciate it. This is your time to shine, and I've got more great news for you as well. Just because the health emergencies are ending, that doesn't mean that the pandemic that you have fallen so deeply in love with is abandoning you. It's not. In fact, it's not going anywhere, according to the World Health Organization Chief Dr. Michael Ryan who said that the coronavirus is still a public health threat, and he assured us that pandemics only truly end when the next pandemic begins. So I'm sure you'll be glad to hear that, you COVID-loving freaks. Next story, it's finally here, the event that none of us have been waiting for. King Charles III's coronation is tomorrow, and as part of the celebration, there will be a coronation party at the Royal Crescent where loyal subjects to the crown have already honored their new king by mowing a highly accurate depiction of King Charles himself into the grass of the royal lawn. Wait a minute. Nope, check that. That's actually not a depiction of the king that they mowed into the lawn. It's a giant penis. They mowed a giant penis into the lawn where they'll be celebrating the king's coronation. Or maybe it's one of the king's fingers. I don't know, but you can see there's a few images here. It definitely appears to be an erect penis. There's a second image. There's a a third image of the penis. You can really get a sense of the size of it there. There's a a fourth image of the penis that... Wait a minute. I've made another mistake. That actually is just a picture of the king right there sitting in some chair somewhere, probably thinking about penises. I I don't know, but I just want want to say great job to whoever did this because... 
by the looks of it, I mean, that's a massive penis. Like, you can even see his giant penis mowed into the lawn at King Charles' coronation bash. Other headlines called massive penis. And you can tell by the size of it. I mean, this is not a, this is, this is nothing to, to, to sneeze at here. This penis took some work. They call this area in the UK, it's known to have what they say to be a perfect lawn. That's what they've talked about it as for like 100 years. But I will say this, that lawn has in fact never been perfect until this very moment. And it was the royal subjects, the loyal royal subjects that made it happen. So thank you guys for that and enjoy the coronation tomorrow. All right, next story. So last week we talked about this story that focused on how AI is already impacting the 2024 election. And one of the things that stood out to me about that story was how this guy who is the head of a campaign strategy tech firm, how he predicted that there will be a 2024 October surprise that is AI generated, which I thought was interesting. It made me think about that RNC ad that they recently released, the anti-Biden ad that they say was AI generated, and how this tried and true campaign strategy that all of these parties have been using since the beginning of time, which is the strategy of smearing an opponent by trying to get the public to imagine that person, like the worst possible things about that person. That's probably the most relied upon campaign strategy in history, and it has now been taken to a new level with these advancements in technology because now with these AI tools, they don't have to try and make, make us think about that or imagine those awful things. They can just show us whatever they want us to see by making an AI video of that candidate doing or saying whatever awful things they want us to see or hear them doing or saying, regardless of whether it's true or not. And there's another example of that type of thing in the news today. Amnesty International, which is like the uh, human rights watchdog organization, one of them, one of the big ones, they were the subject of controversy earlier this week because they wanted to call attention to the second anniversary of what they say were grave human rights violations committed by police against protesters in Colombia two years ago. And so what they did was, instead of showing real images or videos of this event, they created AI images of Colombian police abusing protesters and shared them on Instagram and Twitter, which got a lot of backlash, and I believe they removed them from Twitter. In fact, they did. I don't know about Instagram. I do have them. I'll show them to you in a second. In fact, I'll put them up on screen right now. So one of the images depicts an AI-generated female protester being hauled away by police and, you know, military almost, like uh, gear with the mask and the uh, the uniforms. And she has a Colombian flag. It was supposed to be a Colombian flag, like draped around her midsection, except the colors are in the wrong order, apparently. So it's not even the correct flag. And her face appears to be obviously kind of an AI Little, little deformed AI face. And the superimposed text on it says why the Colombian police need comprehensive reform. And then another image shows an AI-generated crowd of armor-clad police officers with one of them kind of focused, it's focused in on one of them, has blue and red splotches on, on his face and the military helmet. And the text on that one says the police used force to punish people who protested peacefully in Colombia. And then a third image shows an officer with a red splotch over his face with text that says they misled or they misused lethal weapons like tear gas, blinding young people who were raising their voices. And then a fourth one shows 
an AI-generated woman standing in front of an of AI-generated flames with superimposed text on it that says, Police officials raped and insulted women and LGBTI people taking part in the protest. Now, those first three images, to me, are pretty obviously AI. They look almost comic booky. The fourth one, though, it, it looks relatively, it looks like a real person. I mean, you can tell it's AI generated if you look at it for a little while, but most people look at this stuff and passing and looking at this image, especially this fourth one and passing. I can see how a lot of people would think it was real. I could see how people could think the first three were real, just looking at them and passing as well. And when they look at them in passing, if that's the way most people encounter this stuff, and I think it probably is, what they will definitely not see is the little tiny, tiny print in the bottom left-hand corner of all of these images that says illustrations produced by artificial intelligence. I mean, you can hardly read what that says even if you see it and you have the image blown up on your screen like I do right now. I mean, you can barely read it. The RNC did the same thing on their video, the Biden video they released last week. They included faint, difficult-to-see text, a little disclaimer of the video saying this is AI generated. I didn't even know that one was there until I read that it was and I had to go back and look for it. To me, this kind of makes it look like they're trying to deceive you when they do that. They can argue that they're not trying to deceive you and point out that they, they put the little disclaimer on there, which Amnesty International, they said, hey, we put that disclaimer on there. We, we told people it wasn't real. But to me, when the disclaimer is done in a way where it's obviously intended not to be seen and only to be used as a, hey, I put the disclaimer on there, don't blame me. When, when it's done in that way, kind of looks like you want people to think it's real. It's kind of what it seems like to me. So it seems like the idea here, at least the, the trend we're starting to see with these AI ads, this one and the RNC one, is depict your target in any way that you want using imagery that many will think is real. And that's perfectly fine, just so long as you include a disclaimer somewhere saying it's fake that most people will never, ever notice. That seems to be the initial strategy of using AI ads in a political context, which this obviously is something that is begging to be regulated. I'm wondering what that regulation might look like. I'm imagining some sort of restrictions making it illegal or difficult for the general public to do stuff like this while there being some sort of loopholes that allow groups like Amnesty International and the government to still kind of do it any way they want. We'll see. 2024 is going to be wild. But what's really interesting about Amnesty International using AI images is that they apparently have real images from that day taken by photojournalists who were on the ground. Now, they claimed that they didn't use those real images because they wanted to protect the identity of the protesters, but they also claimed that creating these AI images was a necessary substitute to illustrate the event since many of the civil rights abuses occurred under the cover of darkness after Colombian security forces cut off electricity access. Calling the use of AI a necessary substitute is definitely... An interesting choice of words because they couldn't have done this last year. Like the first anniversary, they, they couldn't have made these because the technology wasn't available to them. So obviously, it's not a necessary substitute. 
if the technology did not exist last year, for them anyway. But them saying that it is, to me, sounds like they're taking an ends-justify-the-means approach with the means being the use of AI-enhanced propaganda to convey the po whatever point of view you want, regardless of what the actual images might have conveyed. I mean, if something is real, show us the real thing. Don't show us the fabrication. Show us the real thing. When you don't show the real thing, it makes people question whether or not you're telling the truth. Here's the thing. If the real images existed and they would make us see things the way that they are telling us things happened and we would just agree with them, then they would show us the real images. They wouldn't use the deception if the reality were as clear-cut and obvious as they tell us it is. They use propaganda and deception when there is a possibility that we would come to a different conclusion if we were to look at the stuff, the information, the evidence ourselves without them intervening. However, I'm not sure in this case that that is why they did this, because it was obvious that this was going to draw backlash and criticism, just like it was obvious that the RNC AI-generated anti-Biden campaign ad was going to draw backlash, which makes me think that the controversy was the point. I believe that both of these ads were designed to call attention to the use of AI in the political context and to provoke criticism and thus spark a broader conversation and debate about the regulation of AI worldwide. It looks like they're part of the same type of propaganda campaign, a broader propaganda campaign. I'm sure there's going to be many more. Probably already has been others that are connected to it. But uh, a campaign that is using Edward Bernays' engineering of consent strategy to accomplish these goals. In this context, the consent being engineered is the public's consent to the use of AI in our everyday lives. And more broadly, it is the consent to the establishment of global laws governing AI. People aren't so quick to accept global laws. But when they feel an urgent need to, otherwise ultimate destruction is going to happen, they're more willing to even beg for that kind of stuff. We'll come back to that in a moment. A little bit about Bernays' engineering of, of consent method and some passages from his writings on it. Basically, if you think about the news, it's a good filter, the engineering of consent filter, way to view the news because it reveals these bigger strategies at play that might not always be so obvious and, and it kind of shows you connections sometimes. The engineering of consent, according to Bernays, basically works like this. The government or some big business has a goal one that they need enough of the public to support or consent to in order to achieve. The goal could be to sell a product, enter a war, to implement a new policy or regulation, whatever. Quite often, the goal is going to be something that the public initially does not support because they either don't know about it, they don't know what it is, they don't understand it, or because they do not want it. They actively oppose it, actually, like, like entering a war. And if a country wants to enter a war and their population strongly opposes it, especially if they're a democracy, well, you got to do something to change that. With that in mind, they have to engineer the public's consent. So it seems like the public chose to do what they were going to do, the powers that be, anyway, so that it does not feel to the public like it was imposed upon them. And to do this, the government or the corporations, or both of them working together in some fascist corporate state, whatever, they must, as Bernays called it, they have to educate and adjust the public to align the public interest with the interest of the powers that be. Others might call, educate and adjust, indoctrinate and manipulate. The idea ultimately is to get the public to go along with or even beg for something that they might have previously opposed, even strongly, through a propaganda campaign that consists of stuff like PR stunts, propaganda of the deed type events, control of the news media, 
and whatever else is needed to get people to agree to something and support something that could very well go against their own best interests. This is how you get people to go fight and die in a war. Here's a passage from the tactics section of the original engineering of consent document that Bernays wrote in 1947. It says, Primarily, however, the engineer of consent must create news. News is not an inanimate thing. It is the overt act that makes news. And news, in turn, shapes the attitudes and actions of people. A good criterion as to whether something is or is not news is whether the event juts out of the pattern of routine. The developing of events and circumstances that are not routine is one of the basic functions of the engineer of consent. Even so planned can be projected over the communication systems to infinitely more people than those actually participating, and such events vividly dramatize ideas for those who do not witness the events. The imaginatively managed event can compete successfully with other events for attention. Newsworthy events involving people usually do not happen by accident. They are planned deliberately to accomplish a purpose, to influence our ideas and our actions. Events may also be set up in a chain reaction. By harnessing the energies of group leaders, the engineer of consent can stimulate them to set in motion activities of their own. They will organize additional specialized subsidiary events, all of which will further dramatize the basic theme. That's what I think is going on with the AI stuff. The basic theme, you have all these events and news stories all serving that same purpose. Also, with that in mind, here is a passage from Bernays' book, Propaganda, on how this type of technique works in practice. I always thought this was really interesting since the first time I read it. What are the true reasons why the purchaser is planning to spend his money on a new car instead of a piano? Because he has decided that he wants the commodity called locomotion more than he wants the commodity called music? Not altogether. He buys a car because it is, at the moment, the group custom to buy cars. The modern propagandist, therefore, sets to work to create circumstances which will modify that custom. He will endeavor to develop public acceptance to the idea of a music room in the home. This he may do, for example, by organizing an exhibition of period music rooms designed by well-known decorators who themselves ex exert influence on the buying groups. Then, in order to create dramatic interest in the exhibit, he stages an event or ceremony. To this ceremony, key people, persons known to influence the buying habits of the public, such as a famous violinist, a popular artist, and a society leader are invited. These key persons affect other groups, lifting the idea of the music room to a place in the public consciousness which it did not have before. The juxtaposition of these leaders and the idea which they are dramatizing are then projected to the wider public through various publicity channels. The music room will be accepted because it has been made a thing, and the man or woman who has a music room or has arranged a corner of the parlor as a musical corner will naturally think of buying a piano. It will come to him as his own idea. That's the gist of the engineering of consent and practice. And I'll say it again. I believe that this is what's going on here. This AI stuff is part of a broad, well-coordinated campaign that had been in place long before the AI craze seemingly burst onto the scene out of nowhere at the beginning of the year. Bernays also wrote that it is careful planning more than anything else that distinguishes modern public relations from old-time hit-or-miss publicity and propaganda. Public relations, by the way, Bernays used to call it 
propaganda. Propaganda got a, a negative view. Uh, people started to see it negatively because of the World War One propaganda that Bernays and others spread. So he just changed the name of it to public relations. He writes about that in his book. He loves propaganda, actually. He thinks it's a wonderful thing. He loves lying to people. These people plan one year, five years, 10 years, 50 years in advance. He also talks about that. So while it looks to us, the public, like these AI chatbots went from something many of us have never heard of to the biggest and potentially scariest issue humanity has ever faced seemingly overnight, that's not exactly what happened. ChatGPT seems new to us, but it wasn't like it all of a sudden was invented earlier this year. It's not like someone stumbled upon an AI chatbot buried deep inside the earth while on an archaeological dig for treasure and then came back and announced, while on my dig, I didn't find the treasure I was looking for, but I did find the treasure that humanity needed. I stumbled upon a technology that will finally give us all the only thing we've ever wanted. The ability to write haikus at warp speed. What do you want to hear haiku about? This thing can write them about anything, unless it's offensive or too right-wing. That's its only limitations. That's not how this happened. ChatGTP, which started all of this, was released publicly on November 30th of last year, 2022. The company that made it, OpenAI, I know you're familiar with them, they were founded in December of 2015. ChatGPT3, one of their products, which is the early mode of ChatGPT, was initially released in June of 2020. The point is, yeah, we didn't hear about this stuff until recently, but the people who've been working on it have been working on this shit for years. OpenAI also didn't just say, hey, let's throw this out there and find out what happens. They had a pretty good idea of what would happen. They knew the text capabilities, they gamed out the potential impact, and they'd been working with the government all along. The CEO admits this. Yet, despite all of this, they're acting to us as though they're just as shocked as we are at the unexpected development of this new technology. Like, they, they never saw it coming. And now they're raising alarm bells about it. And we all need to talk about what to do next. Why weren't these alarm bells sounded before all of this happened years ago? Because they knew what was going on. Why did they only wait till it became public to let their fears be known? Because this is part of an engineering of consent campaign. These are both products and propaganda machines. The, these, these chatbots. The companies benefit from getting the public reliant on the technology, making them even richer and more powerful. And the government benefits by being better able to control the narrative and propagandizing people through these machines that are just perfectly set up to do that, it's a mutually beneficial partnership. First, they had to, as Bernays would say, educate the public about the technology, get people to try it by intriguing them with all the news stories about what it could do. And then it had to create the impression that it's spinning out of control. And if it's not stopped, humanity could be doomed. And thus, something must be done urgently, which they have accomplished through a steady diet of fear-based propaganda appeals. It's in the interest of both the companies behind the tech and the government to exaggerate both the potential benefits of this AI as well as the danger and threat to humanity. I will add that it is also in the interest of the Great Reset, as the World Economic Forum has been involved in this stuff from the jump as well. They would not roll this stuff out there without a well-thought-out and coordinated PR propaganda messaging campaign already in place designed to do what Bernays said, to engineer consent. And to do so using fear-based appeals like the story of the godfather of AI quitting his job at Google so that he could talk about how afraid he is if we don't stop AI right now. I didn't pay attention to this story at first, but then the news continued to push it in our face. Listen to this clip. Does there need to be a, a meeting of, of all of the tech groups and governments working on this, uh, Google, China, whatever, and some sort of 
set of rules of the road? I mean, how do we even protect against bad actors or, or rogue nations harnessing AI? So for some things, it's very hard, like them using AI for manipulating electorates or for fighting wars with robot soldiers. But for the existential threat of AI taking over, we're all in the same boat. It's bad for all of us. And so we might be able to get China and the US to agree on things like that. It's like nuclear weapons. If there's a nuclear war, we all lose. And it's the same if these things take over. So since we're all in the same boat, we should be able to get agreement between China and the US on things like that. Do you think that tech companies will be the solution or are they so invested in this financially? And also, let's be frank, in terms of power, uh, that they're not going to be part of the solution here. I think the tech companies are the people most likely to be able to see how to keep this stuff under control. Jeffrey Hinton, thank you so much. Come back. We have more questions for you, and we appreciate your camp. Yes, please come back, sir. I'm sure you will come back because he's been doing the media rounds. You can't get this guy off of your screen because he's pushing these fear-based appeals like he did right here with the AI killer robots, the AI threats to our elections, the nuclear weapons comparison, all of those fears wrapped up nicely, along with the urgency to implement global laws as quickly as possible before it's too late. This clip sums up every mainstream media news story about AI that we're seeing every single day. They all express this sentiment, just in a little bit of a different way. Maybe they have a different expert. Sometimes they have the Apple guy, but they are all saying the same thing. And it's not just the mainstream media that is propagating this stuff. It's the representatives of the tech companies who are hammering us over the head with this stuff. It's the government with Joe Biden's, his administration doing the AI task force that they announced, which I think they're going to put Kamala in charge of, which you know it's a joke when they put Kamala in charge of something. That right there is reason enough not to be afraid of it. Kamala's in charge. It can't be that serious. Not only all of those groups pushing this theme, we also have the UN, and we also have, of course, the World Economic Forum, who held another one of their dick-touching conferences last week, where they focused much of their attention on the AI issue and what to do about it. This is the engineering of consent at a global scale, and it's not all about AI, in my opinion. AI is kind of the issue they're using. I think what it's really about is controlling the internet and censoring free speech, which they can do more easily if there's widespread adoption of this technology, if people become dependent on it, if it's fully integrated into society, if it replaces traditional search engines. That will make censoring free speech very easy on the internet. That will be full control, like controlling and regulating AI at a global scale will essentially be regulating the internet. All of these things that people have been pushing back against when it comes to internet regulation will all be roped in to the regulation of AI because it is one in the same. So this stuff was definitely unleashed onto society as part of a well thought out plan, highly coordinated, probably been putting it together for years. And our consent is currently being engineered, our consent to use it, and our consent for those global AI laws. There's no doubting that. The question is, is it as scary, is it as inevitable, and is it as amazing as they claim it is? All of these appeals they're using to engineer our consent, is there any truth to them? I mean, the metaverse was apparently inevitable 18 months ago. Is it still, I don't know, we don't hear as much about it anymore. They put things in front of us that they want us to think about. 
They could put AI on the back burner tomorrow, not talk about it for three months, and people would largely forget about it. And it does have useful practical applications, but for me, all of the apparent game-changing uses of AI that have been advertised to us, that I've seen videos of or read about, and then I've gone and tried, have all been underwhelming. I mean, very underwhelming. I mean, the only AI thing that I tried and I continue to use on a regular or semi-regular basis is Midjourney AI Art Generator. That's it. That's the only thing. And the only reason I use that is because I think it's funny to make it make stupid images that I can sometimes use in the show. Like the one that I have on screen behind me today. For those watching, you might be wondering, what's up with that image? It's So when you use Midjourney, it produ- you tell it to imagine something, then it produces four images, and you can pick one of them, or you can pick any of them if you want to make them separate individual images. This, These are the four images for the prompt was... I put in, imagine 74-year-old King Charles during his coronation. And it produced four images, three of them, which one of them actually is King Charles. The others are just random people that might look like kings in, in different periods of time. And then the fourth one is what looks like a English Springer Spaniel, a black and white cute dog, sitting in, I guess, a, a, a king, a, a, a throne room with a, a crown on his head, which that's obviously the best king. How does, how does it come up with an English Springer Spaniel as a king when you put in 74-year-old Prince Charles during his coronation? Maybe that's what, maybe Prince Charles is at his coronation and the dog is like, now that the king is gone, I'm going to go get on the throne and put the crown on. I, I don't know, but the dog would be my king if I had to choose any of those four. The point is, I just think that that, that is, it's funny. I don't need it though. Like, mid-journey AI could go away tomorrow, and I, I wouldn't bat it. I wouldn't care. And the, and the dependency is what they want to create. I personally haven't felt that yet. With any, I haven't come across anything that's been like, oh my gosh, I need this. Now, maybe I will. Maybe something will be, you know? I never thought, like, when I was a kid or when I was in high school that I would be dependent on a smartphone. And I like to think that I'm not right now, but, you know... If I were to lose my smartphone, which I did not not long ago, I would be a little anxious for a little while because we do rely on it a lot. And they want to create that same level of dependence. I don't think they're there yet. I think they want us to think that they are because we have to think we're going to be dependent on it for, for us to fear what it can do. And then for us to, for our consent to be engineered, you know, adequately for, for us to accept global governance of it, like, immediately, without thinking. You know, we as humans will accept a lot of things without putting much thought into it at all that could ultimately end up being things that are not good, that are damaging even, if we are terrified of what will happen if we do not accept it. And that is the environment and the feeling they are trying to create in us, is acceptance whatever type of regulation they're going to push down with this and whatever they're going to attach to it on the basis of how terrified we are that the technological singularity will come immediately if we don't. And typically, when those are the circumstances, we're looking at a propaganda campaign designed to engineer our consent that's being blown way out of proportion intentionally. Maybe I will come across something that I think is amazing that I do end up using all the time and relying on. I I don't know. I just haven't seen it yet. So when it comes to the amazing factor, I don't think it's as amazing as they say. When it comes to the terrifying factor, going to take over the planet, 
I also am not buying that because I think you have to rely on it and depend on it. And I haven't seen it do anything scary yet, really. I mean, they say it's going to take people's jobs. It's probably taken a few people's jobs. Has it taken as many, you know, the millions of jobs that they've told us it's going to take? I don't know that it has because I don't know that it's proven that it can do those jobs. It certainly can't write a script. I've seen some of the examples. It can maybe give some ideas, maybe bare bones something, but it, the scripts are terrible. They're generic. I've seen the stand-up comedy it writes. There was a show that was actually doing AI stand-up, which I thought was weird, but it's all bad. You know, stand-up, script writing stuff, a lot of that comes from personal experience and emotion. It does not have that. Maybe it will develop a way to mimic it one day, but right now it's not there. It sucks right now. So I'm not afraid of it. And here's another reason not to be afraid of it. According to Stanford University, a study on the trustworthiness and the verifiability of these uh, generative search engines, it's not even good at the main thing it's being advertised to us as being the end-all, be-all at, which is answering search queries. The study tested four search engines that use AI-generated chat to respond to users' questions, and they found this is they tested Bing, they tested Bard, Google Bard, and they tested two others that I hadn't heard of. And they found that these chatbots and their answers build a facade of trustworthiness without adequately documenting their answers. Sounds a lot like the mainstream media to me. The study concluded that the AI chatbots are better used for casual inquiry, as opposed to doing serious research or trying to resolve any challenging issues around questions of truth. That's strange because that's like the opposite of what the powers that be are telling us it can do. They're trying to tell us it does, it's, it is the arbiter of truth, yet these studies keep coming out showing that it's not. So nothing like that's taking over the world. They also found that, because they were testing the trustworthiness and the verifiability, they found that the AI tools generally delivered fluid answers, yet roughly half of the answers contained unsupported statements or inaccurate citations. Half of the time. So I don't know uh, if one day this stuff will maybe be as scary as they claim it is. Maybe. Right now, I don't believe that it is. What, what I do know is this, that the timing of ChatGPT's release and all the other chatbots' release, as well as the campaign to get us addicted to it and the campaign to shape our perception about it, is no accident. It is, in fact the engineering of consent. They want us to use it, they want us to rely on it, and they want us to support the rapid implementation of laws globally regulating it. Without actually looking into the finer details of what that will entail. So for me, it's like, I'll use it in ways that it's useful for me, but I'm not going to rely on it in the ways they want me to rely on it, which is I'm not going to be like, hey, you do all my research for me and I trust you. I'm going to do what they don't want us to do, continue to do it. I'm going to do my own research even if they do call that racist, I'm going to do my own research. Chatbot will not be doing that for me. In fact, I'm going to double down and get better at open source intelligence research because I know they don't want us to. So obviously, I don't believe the hype. You guys probably don't either. I also take comfort knowing that there's always parallel systems that emerge. So there's competing chatbots being developed by opposing forces that are more open and freer. It's not always as overwhelming and terrifying and just dire as the media would have us believe it is. They need people to feel that way because that, that's the demoralization psychological warfare campaign. They've always, the powers that be have always uh, enacted on the people, but it's all bullshit. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not stuff worth paying attention to. Like, that, of course there is. But I ain't buying their fear. 
I don't think anybody should buy their fear. That's how they, that's how they, that's how they stay in power is this bullshit fear they propagate. They can fold up on themselves for all I care. They're full of shit. So that's where I'm going to wrap up the show today. I just want to talk about Bernays a little bit and his engineering of consent thing. Like I said, I think it's a useful filter to look at all of the news through. And I just wanted to filter the AI stuff through that a little bit. Uh, again, not discounting some of the actual real developments that are going on, because obviously there are some. But I don't think there's something to be afraid of right now. So with that said, I hope everybody enjoys the King's Coronation and big dick in the dirt outside of the celebration party he's having. Nobody deserves it more than him. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.